Hello, everyone, and welcome to the City Baptist Church podcast, where it's our desire to help you find and follow Jesus. Our message today is from our current teaching series called Strangers and Pilgrims, uh, where we're going through the book of 1 Peter and just pulling out truth from the passages and seeing how they can apply in our lives today. Uh, we hope that the message is an encouragement to you and a blessing and just really something to aid you in your walk with God. And uh, we'll get into the message today as we continue uh, walking through. I wanted to ask you guys this morning, uh, what is your favorite movie genre? What? I don't watch movies, Pastor Paul. Okay, all right. Okay, well, I do. Uh, <laughs> you're all like, do I want to tell him? No. Uh, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what my favorite movie genre is, or one of my favorite movies. Obviously, comedy is one of my favorite movie genres. Anybody else into the comedy movies? Okay. Okay, let's wake up a little bit today. All right, here we go. We're good. All right, comedy is great. One of my favorite movie genres, though, is apocalyptic movies. Anyone else out there? I don't know if it's the pastor in me. I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but I like movies that kind of talk about the end of the world. Anybody else like those movies? I'm not talking about zombie apocalypses, okay? Some of you, you're like, oh yeah, I love a good zombie movie. No, 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 those scare me. I, I don't like watching zombie movies. I'm not talking about even ones that necessarily involve viruses that did kill everybody. The little too close to home, right, these days. Uh, But I like movies that involve like, okay, a comet, right? You know, a comet is coming to the earth and it's going to destroy. I put up a few of my favorite ones over the years here. You know, 2012, right? Anybody watch that movie? That's good. I'm not endorsing everything in every movie. Just want you to know, I don't want to get any emails or blog posts or anything, okay? Day After Tomorrow, you know, an apocalyptic type uh, uh, um, weather environment. Have you seen that one, Chris? 2012? Oh, okay, today, watch it today. Uh, Greenland, that's a new one. That's on Amazon Prime. It's actually pretty good. Again, guess what? A comet is coming to the earth. And uh, all of these, okay, so you get it. That's, maybe I'm the only one who likes movies like this. Uh, And unfortunately, I pass it on to our boys, and they kind of like movies that involve the end of the world as well, too. Uh, Maybe that is a problem, actually. That's probably a problem. We should, we'll work on that one. Uh, We'll just get them into the rom-coms, right? That's, That's probably where they should be. Um, but these kind of movies, I don't know, it's just something about them. I like movies that are like this and, and uh, that kind of have the end of the world. But here's one interesting thing that I've just noticed over the years. So regardless of, of, of the kind of movie, whether it's a, an asteroid or a weather event, if it's the end of the world kind of movie, in every single one of these movies, and I mean, I'm, I'm speaking as truthfully as I can this morning, I believe in every single one of these movies that I've ever watched, at some point, at some point in the movie, there is some scene, there's some clip, there's some pan of a crowd, and guess what? There's some guy out there holding a sign saying the end is near, <laughs> right? Have you noticed that? In like every one of these movies, there's always, it doesn't matter if it's Armageddon or 2012, there's always some crowd scene and everyone's screaming, or the holding one says, welcome aliens, you know, or the end of the world is here. There's always somebody in all of these movies holding a sign like this. It's almost like they have to include it in the movie. Now to us, of course, that's comical, right? We look at that and we go, ha, ha, ha. Maybe you've seen somebody like that on the side of the road, you know, the end is near. Uh, and, and, and to us, of course, if you see somebody like that, you think, okay, maybe they don't really have it all together. And it's kind of funny to us, and we, and we look at that. But in every single one of those movies, it's like that. And in real life, sometimes it's like, but here's, what I, here's why I tell you that this morning. Because I truly believe with all of my heart 
that if the apostle Peter lived in the day and age that we are in today, I believe that, I believe that Peter would be one of those guys holding a sign saying the end is near. I really do believe that. I believe that he would be there and he'd be holding a sign and it wouldn't be on cardboard because it hadn't been uh, invented yet. Or I guess if he was here, he'd have a cardboard and a Sharpie and he would write that the end is near and he would tell people that the end is near. That's why in verse number seven of 1 Peter 4, he says, but the end of all things is at hand. So he starts this new section of our our passage and he says, listen, you got to remember that the end of all things truly is at hand, meaning the end is Near. Now, there's some interesting aspects of the word that is translated for us, end. It's a Greek word, and it's a word that's not used very often in the New Testament, but when it is used, it's not used in the idea of like a chronological end, meaning like the end, like, okay, something comes to a stop. What it means is that it means that whatever it is that they're talking about, in this case, all things, it means that it has come to a conclusion, It has come to a desired conclusion. It's something that maybe that you look forward to and now it has finally happened. So it's not like a stop, but he's saying that there is a conclusion that has come. And the point that he's trying to get across to us here is that the second coming of Christ, the fact that Jesus is returning again, is something that we as Christians desire. It's something that we look forward to. It's that time when we will see our Savior face to face. It's what the Christian longed for. It's what uh, we define as the blessed hope, as Titus talks about. Paul, uh, writing to to, uh, uh, Titus here, he says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. See, one thing that we need to understand, church family, is that for the early church, For Peter, as he's writing this book to us, they carried with them a mindset that the end had already begun. They carried with them a mindset that the end was in fact here. That's why Peter says here that the end of all things is at hand. That means it is imminent. That means it is any moment that all that we know could be completely changed. Now, the scripture in New Testament specifically teaches us that the last days, what is defined as the last days, is something that began when Jesus was resurrected And it will come to a conclusion when Jesus returns to this earth. So literally, we are living what the Bible defines as the last days. When Jesus went up to heaven on that resurrection that we just talked about on Easter Sunday, that began the last days, and it's going to continue until he returns. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter 1 verse 20, he said, for verily uh, who, speaking of Jesus, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in the what? What does it say there? Last times for you. What is manifest? He was revealed in the last times for you. So Peter is trying to get across to us here. He's saying, listen, we are in the last days. It could come at any moment. And when he says that the end of all things is close, he actually meant it. So when he's writing now, as we know, to the scattered believers, these are people that were far away from home. These are people that were a minority as far as being Christians. He's trying to help them understand and know and believe that the end of times is close. Jesus could return at any moment. And the reason that he's saying it is because when you actually believe and when you live as a Christian convinced that Jesus could return, yes, even today, guess what it does for you? It changes the way you look at life. It changes the way you approach life. Now, in our natural state, we don't really like this. Now, I'm a planner. 
I'm just joking. My wife is a planner. <laughs> I'm looking right at her. I can't lie. She is a planner. I go along with her plan, okay? And uh, she is. I mean, if Jeanette could know what was going to happen on October 2nd of this year at 10 a.m., she would love to have that on a calendar somewhere. I, I mean it. She loves to plan. She loves to look ahead. She wants to know what's coming. And in all of us, there's that idea that we don't like surprises, do we? We want to know what's happening. And I think that's why when it comes to the end times, when it comes to the return of Jesus Christ, I think that's why some uh, eschatological, uh, eschatological approaches are, are such that people uh, want to know that there's these specific things, you know, like, okay, when the, the, the rivers turn to blood, all right, we know Jesus is going to come in about, you know, two and a half years, you know, and they like to have these kind of uh, things, and, and if you're not familiar with that, it's okay, we'll get to that at another time. Uh, but there's these certain, like, uh, different types of eschatology that maybe would lead someone to having more of an inkling or understanding of when Jesus would come back. And the reason for that is, is because for all of us, we want to have an opportunity to kind of get things right. You know what I'm saying? We kind of want to fix things before Jesus comes back. And the idea that Jesus could come back at any moment makes us a little bit uncomfortable. A lot of us are like, maybe you could relate to it this way. When you were a kid or maybe a teenager and your mom and your dad were maybe gone and they left you at home alone, and they said, hey, when I get back, this floor had better be vacuumed. And then they wouldn't tell you when they're coming back, you know? And you live in panic until you hear the car in the driveway, and then guess what, you know? I found this really great video I want to share with you that kind of illustrates that for us today. This is how, though, here's what I want you to get before I show you this video. This is how some people look at the Christian life. This is how some people look at the Christian life. All right, I want you to see this. Okay, so I don't know if you could hear that and see that. Uh, maybe some of you, as my son said, he's seen that before. That's great. Um, <laughs> that's how a lot of Christians want to live the Christian life. We want to know exactly when Christ is going to return so we can run around and clean everything up in our life, do the things that we have been putting off, where we want to do the things that, uh, you know, we know we need to get right in our life so that when God returns, we can be like, oh, yes, we were just here the whole time obeying you, Lord. But that's not how God intended for us to live. That's what I want you to understand today. God did not intend for us to live in that way just terrified he's going to return and, and, and not be able to get everything fixed and not to get everything right and, and do the things that God has called us to do. God does not want us to uh, just procrastinate our life away. See, so often people simply wait for some moving target in the future and, and they look at that target and they think, okay, when I get to this place, then I'll begin to live for the Lord and then I'll begin to sort of get things right. And people say things like, well, when I finish school, you know, uh, when I finish my schooling, then I'll, I'll think about maybe serving God with my life. Or when I, uh, when I finally get married, after I get married, then everything's going to be okay. You know what? When I buy my first home, when I buy that first home and I can just focus on this, uh, then maybe I'll, I'll think about serving in my local church and getting involved in following the Lord. Or maybe, uh, you know, when I get my business to this certain point, until I get it there, then, uh, then, then at that point, I'm going to begin to, you know, get everything going. Then I'll begin to invest my life and invest in God's work. But I want to be real with you guys this morning. Listen, that's a tragic way to live your life. It's a tragic way to live your life, putting off living for Jesus while trying to build a kingdom on this earth. It's short-sighted. It's short-sighted, and it is desperately in need of the reminder. And this is why Peter brings it up, and this is why I'm talking about it today. We need to be reminded of the fact that Jesus is coming soon. Paul wrote about it in Romans 13, where he says that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of, what's that word? Sleep. He says, listen, Christian, it's time to wake up, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. He says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. That's the same idea. It's right here. It's imminent. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. 
Now, Paul here is saying to us that the night, uh, the night that he mentions here, the night is far spent, that's the time of darkness that we live in today. And so he says, listen, we're in a time of darkness, but it's almost over. He's coming back. And so those of us that are lights, we who are living in the night, we need to wake up and we need to live expectant of Christ's return. In other words, we need to live in anticipation of Jesus returning. Now, I know that you might be thinking today, well, listen, Pastor, that was 2,000 years ago that he's saying this. Guess what? Jesus didn't come back. (laughs) Here we are 2,000 years later. And I, I get that. That's a question that we all have. But I want to remind you about what Peter said later on in 2 Peter chapter 3. He knew this was coming. And in fact, he'd experienced this. He said, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days, what's that word? Scoffers. You know what a scoffer is? It's a mocker, somebody who just makes fun of people. And he says, in the last days, there will come scoffers walking after their own lust. So he defines like what they're focused on. And they will uh, saying, here's what they're going to say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, that means they died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So these scoffers are going to come along and say, well, he said he was going to return, but everything's just sort of happening like normal. So where is he? And then in verse 8, if we skip down there, he says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he is long-suffering to usward. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. See, Jesus is coming again, and he's coming on his timetable, okay? A day with the Lord is like a thousand years to us. You know, we love the concept of dog years, right? How old is your dog? Ten years. Oh, he's 70, (laughs) you know, (laughs) right? And we always do the mental math. Okay, well, for the Lord, a day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. So to God, who doesn't view mankind in a linear time frame like we do, it's, it's nothing to him. We think it's been 2,000 years. No, no, to God, it's, it's nothing. God, here's the point. God is going to return on his timetable. And here's the wonderful thing that we know about God. He is long-suffering. That's the reason he hasn't come back, because he's long-suffering. Why is he long-suffering? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Here's the great thing about our God. He has been long-suffering and has not returned to finish and bring judgment because he loves humanity so much. He loves his creation so much that he wants to give us an opportunity, plenty of time to repent. Now that, again, speaks to God's love for us. How amazing that is that God loves us that much, that he's willing to hold off his return. And so we know that he is long-suffering. We don't know how long he's going to be long-suffering for. He's giving us time to repent, but at the same time, in that verse there, he says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, meaning it'll come very quickly. In the second to last verse in the Bible, in Revelation 22, verse 20, it says, he which testifieth these things says, surely I come quickly. Jesus said that, in fact. And if you have a red, uh, red letters in your Bible, that part is in red because Jesus said that. Jesus said, I am going to come quickly. And then the response is, even so, come Lord Jesus. So this is the mentality that we should have, that God says, I'm going to come back as a thief in the night. You don't know when I'm going to come back. And our response is, Jesus, come back today. Jesus, come back today. Yesterday, uh, yesterday afternoon, um, in, in the basement here of our church, we had a, a time of a memorial for Michael Krasinski, uh, Grace's husband. And many of you don't know uh, Grace's story, um, but it was one year ago uh, yesterday that uh, her husband um, passed away from cancer, and um, were, they were not able to gather with family and, and everyone until yesterday. 
And Grace just was so brave through the whole thing and, and uh, was able to uh, share her, her story and, and, and really encourage those people that were there that were in mourning and remembering her husband. And one of the stories that she told, and I, I asked her permission to share this with you today, but she talked about when she and Michael had first met about 12 years ago. Uh, before they ever got married, they got into a conversation, and she said, she said, we were in a conversation one day about Jesus coming back. And they were just, I believe, not very long, like they were really close to their wedding day. And Michael had said to her, man, I wish Jesus would just come back today. And of course, her response as, you know, the one he was about to marry was like, well, couldn't we at least, you know, don't you want to marry me first? <laughs> right? Don't you want to marry me first? And he, and he said this to her and, and the general idea that he said, he said, I would rather have Christ than you. Now think about that. Now today, Michael is in heaven with his Savior. And we're thankful for that. But imagine, and, and that just spoke to me so deeply, and I was already thinking, and, and my message was almost done, and I was thinking along these lines anyway, and it just spoke to me that here was a man who, though he was about to enter into the, the, the greatest human relationship that you can experience of marriage, the, the, that God has ordained and brought pe- two people together, that at the very verge of that, he still said, I would rather have Christ than have you. And that's not a slight to grace. In fact, that made her know that he loved her even more because he loved Christ more than her. By the way, that's the foundation of a great marriage is that each party loves Christ more than they love one another because that only leads you to a greater love. But he said, I would rather have Christ than have you. And that spoke to me so much because he was living out Revelation 22, verse 22. Jesus said, I come quickly. He says, hey, even so, Lord, I want you to come. And this is the heart that God wants us to have as believers today. You know, maybe you've wondered, I wonder what it was that motivated those New Testament saints. What was it that motivated those in the Old Testament to do great things for God and to be used by God in great ways, these great Bible characters? Have you ever wondered, how did they live and serve and how how were they so sacrificial for the Lord without regard to their lives? It's because they actually believe this truth as well. They believe that Jesus could, in fact, return at any moment. And because they believe that Jesus could return at any moment, it then became something for them that changed the way they lived their life, and that was their motivation then. Their motivation for living for God, their motivation for pursuing holiness, their motivation for uh, trying to live a righteous life, their motivation for reaching others with the gospel and obeying uh, God's commands to us, the Great Commission, was because they had in mind that Jesus could return at any day. And it's not a doomsday type of a mindset where you wake up and you're like, oh no, (laughs) it could be today. No, it's it's simply a motivation recognizing that God's long suffering has gone on a long time. And we do not know when he will return. Peter and them believed it would be within their lifetime. I believe that Christ could return in my lifetime. So what does that do for me? It should be a motivation then, a motivation to live for the Lord. This is the mindset that Peter is wanting to teach those scattered believers. It's a mindset that would sustain them through the suffering that they were about to face. And I'll tell you what, church, it's the same kind of mindset that will jumpstart your journey of faith. It's the same mindset that'll help you get to that next level of faith and of obedience and of of following Christ that you would love to get to. And that's the jump-starting factor is if you have the mindset that Jesus is coming soon. How simple is that today? Jesus is coming soon. I wonder, do you believe that in your heart? Do you believe that Jesus could, in fact, come back today? See, this was Peter's focus, and this was a focus that uh, he was encouraging them to live, But I want you to know that that 
mindset then leads us to specific things. Now, this is what we see here as he continues on in verse number eight, so, or in verse number seven there. So he says, listen, the end of all things is at hand. That's verse seven right there at the very beginning. I'm just gonna jump ahead to it there. But then he says this. So because of that, we then be ye therefore, say that word with me, sober. So be sober and watch unto prayer. So here's what's gonna happen today. I'm just gonna give you a heads up. So this is, this is the context. The end of all things is at hand. Jesus is coming back. Now he's gonna give us four areas of life that we can focus in, but we're only gonna cover one of them this morning. Sound good? Okay, I just, so you're all good, all right? We're not gonna, it's not gonna go too long because I know that was a long introduction, all right? So here's the first one. The first one is that we need to live with awareness. Live with awareness. If Jesus is coming soon, then there needs to be a mental focus. There needs to be an acuity about the way that you go about life understanding this truth. Look again at the verse. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. So as Christians who are living in expectation of the return of Christ, he encourages us to be sober. Now we've learned this in past messages. We've studied a lot of the Bible together. To be sober does not just mean not drunk. Okay, we understand that. In today's context, that's how people view it. It means so much more than that, although that can be included in it as well. It is a person, to be sober-minded is a person who is serious. It's a person who is uh, self-controlled. It's a person who's not easily distracted or swayed. In other words, you're grounded in reality. Don't you love it when people are grounded in reality? And don't you hate it when they're not? <laughs> you know? It's like, come on, like, look, float back down to earth here. Let's be grounded in reality. This is what we are to be as Christians. We are to be self-controlled. We're to be seriously minded. We are to be grounded in reality. We are not to be like the world who is constantly living in a way to find an escape. Now think about that with me for a moment. I think you guys understand that our world that we live in, so many people live their lives simply looking ahead to, a, to work it out until a weekend comes, and the only reason they're living for that, even the reason for many people, the, the reason they work their jobs, is so that they can have enough money to go out, to turn off their minds, to find a way of escape. Would you agree with me on that? That's a very common thing. Last night, uh, Jeanette and I, we had some friends invited us out for dinner. They were paying. It's great, right? I'm always available for that. I just want you to know. I'm always available. Always available. <laughs> and uh, they invited us out to dinner. We'd want to hang out with them for a while. It had been a while. I hadn't seen them. And, and so they picked this restaurant, kind of downtown-ish area, uh, down by the stadiums. And I said, all right, never been to it before. And brand new building and everything. Really nice. We go there. We go to this restaurant. And it was super nice. There's a casino, though, right above it, which I was like, Okay. Anyway, all right, so uh, I'm, you guys, <laughs> there was a casino right above us. This restaurant was there, nice restaurant. So we, we had a good meal. But I, I, I'm a naturally observant kind of a guy. I kind of see things that are happening in the room. And there's a couple things that really stood out to me last night um, that, that I, I feel help us to understand this a little bit. First of all, where we were seated, there was a table of about eight 40-year-old ladies and one guy, which was kind of weird. But anyway, they were there. And you ever see these people come into the restaurant and they like they walk into the, the, the door and they're like, whoop, whoop, you know, like you ever hear that? And you're like, oh man, I hope they don't sit next to me. Well, sure enough, they parked right here and it was just, it was flowing, if you know what I'm talking about. It was flowing. I mean, it was drink after drink. There was a lot of like, hey's and all this. And I was really weird. I was like, you guys are kind of old for this. But anyway, uh, not young like me. 
And they're, I mean, and they're laughing and it's so loud and it's like just drink and food and all this kind of stuff. And I was kind of like keeping an eye on them in case I needed to run, in case something happened, you know? And, and I, I was just, I was observing them though. And it was interesting to me. What was interesting to me is this. It's obviously they were there to just kind of have, have a good time and I don't know what they were celebrating. I think it was somebody's birthday or something. But they just kept drinking. And this one girl who was kind of over on our side, a woman, sorry, on our side over here, she was, she, when she started out, she was just, man, she was having a good time and everybody was laughing. And, but by the end of the night, when we finished up our meal, we couldn't really talk at all because they were so loud. And uh, that was really great. And we're getting ready to go. But I don't know if you noticed this, Jeanette, but there was like a, a, a change. At first, they all came in and they're all like super excited and every, but as, and, and they were getting kind of hammered, you know, they were really drinking a lot. And I noticed like a change in all of their faces and their attitudes. It didn't look very fun anymore, is what I'm trying to get across. They looked kind of depressed, actually. It looked kind of sad. <laughs> Some of them were just sort of quiet. They're sort of sitting there. It wasn't really, man, they just looked dejected. They looked pretty discouraged, honestly. The other thing I observed is that as we left, we kind of stood out in the lobby, and there was this casino upstairs. And, and uh, casinos, you know, they always sound really great, right? Tons of noise and click, 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 click. And always somebody, hey, you know, somebody yelling, it's great. I, I can do a whole spiel on it if you wanted me to. And, uh, and, uh, and so, so the, the, it's up there, and there's two escalators. Did you notice this, Jeanette? There's two escalators there. So there's one, you had to check in to go up, and then the other escalator coming down. And so while we're talking to our friends in the lobby, we're just talking, we're getting ready to go to our car. I was just watching the people going up, and I was watching the people coming down. Okay, yeah, you guys already know where I'm going. It's like a social experiment. I was like, okay, this is really interesting here. If you ever, if you ever know somebody with a gambling problem, let's, say, let's just go for an hour and let's watch the escalator. Because the difference in people going up the escalator and the way they were coming down was night and day. They're going up and they're all like, woo, they're going up, you know, and they're high-fiving and coming down. There's a lot of like folded arms, a lot of heads down. I'm, I'm not kidding you. I was, I was shocked. And, and uh, it was like a stark difference, a stark difference to me. Okay, so in both cases, and these are, these are just silly examples that I observed yesterday. But both of these, these are two groups of people that were pursuing what the world tells us is what you need to go after. Just sort of live care- carefree, uh, enjoy all the pleasures of life, just try to do whatever uh, it is that you want to do. Enjoy it. But I was reminded of Proverbs 16, 25 that says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the ends thereof are a way of death, the way of death. And here's the thing, church, the world is living for this kind of idea, finding ways to just sort of numb their senses, to try to experience this joy that is elusive, that is out there in the world. Maybe some of you are living for that right now. I know many of you have lived that way before, and you've pursued this this joy. You've tried to fulfill your life in this way. But I want to tell you, that's not God's best for our life as a Christian. See, as God's followers, as followers of Jesus Christ, his desire for us is that we don't have our heads just pursuing all of the pleasures of this world. He wants us to be sober-minded. He wants us to be serious. That's not boring, okay? Don't, don't misunderstand me. That's not like, okay, my life is going to just be terrible. No, no. This just, it's, a, it's a reality about life. And what is the reality? The fact that Jesus is coming again. And he wants us to be serious. He wants us to have a right outlook at life. And the reason is, is yes, Jesus is coming again. And here's the great thing. Because he's coming again, we know the end of the story. So we don't have to live our lives for the pleasures of this life because we know that one day we're going to experience pleasures forevermore with God in heaven. And that's the wonderful thing about our God is that he has something far better for us outside of this life. And so we can live 
through the difficulty of life. We can live through the stress of life. We can live through the trials and the suffering of life because we know what is to come. And as the verse as well tells us, I want you to notice there verse number seven again. He says, be therefore sober. And then he talks about watching unto prayer. So that's another aspect that I think is just so key that we need to just touch, touch on just for a moment here. And, and the point is, is that he wants us to be sober, to be firmly grounded in reality. And the way that we do that, and he gives us the answer, the way that we do that is that we watch unto prayer. We watch unto prayer. Here's the secret to maintaining balance in your life. Here's the secret to maintaining, maintaining a calmness is be aware in your prayer. And yes, I know that rhymes. <laughs> aware in your prayer. Meaning this, it means that you are the kind of person who is alert in the way that you pray. Here's what it means. It means this. Let me just try to make it a little bit more practical for us. It means that when you pray, you pray with an understanding of what is happening in the world around you. You pray with the reality of the return of Christ. You pray with the reality of Satan, the fact that we have an enemy who's trying to distract us and destroy us. We, we, we pray with that reality and that understanding that there is a, a challenge and a spiritual warfare that is happening. And so we pray in that way and that helps us then calm down in the challenges of life. So we don't have to seek after alcohol and drugs and all these other things that we pursue, that people pursue after to kind of dull the, the reality of life. And so that's what he's trying to get us to do here. He says, listen, remember the fact that prayer can make such a difference. You know, when I get to the point in my life where I am irritable, where I feel like I'm losing control, where I feel burdened, when I feel stressed all on all sides, you guys know what I'm talking about? I feel that way. When I get to that point, do you know what I recognize about my life? I realize that I need to make sure that I get into my prayer closet. <laughs> I need to get before the Lord. I need to spend time in prayer with God because prayer always calms me down. Prayer always calms the spirit. It doesn't make us indifferent. It, it makes us aware and focused that Jesus is in control in all things. Remember Philippians chapter four, it says, be careful for nothing. Now we often quote verse six, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. That's the whole idea. In every aspect of life, we are to be praying. And then verse seven says this, look at, and they're connected. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Here's what we know. When we know that Christ is coming back, we are able to live in a grounded reality that we do not have to pursue the pleasures of this world. We don't have to pursue after what the world says you need to get through life. All you need to do is pursue God. Prayer is a huge resource in that situation. And what it does is it gives you a calm, steadfast peace and a surety that he is in control and you don't have to be in control. Man, you want to talk about the biggest battle that you and I face, it's trying to be in control. Trying to be in control. And that's really, I mean, you know what all of my anxieties are about in my life? Control. Control. I don't have control in that environment. I don't have control in that situation. I don't have control over that person or whatever it may be. But you know who does? God. God's in control. And so for the Christian life, we need to be firmly grounded in some truths. Jesus is coming back. And because he's coming back, we can pray and we can trust him with a unique awareness that grounds us in reality and helps us to get through 
the suffering and the difficulty that is to come. So my question for us is really simple. Really, really simple. Are you, are you watching and waiting for the return of the Lord? Because it changes everything about your life. Changes everything about your life. Changes your heart focus. Changes your mind. It can help you get through the difficulties and anxieties that you're facing. Some of you right now are facing some really challenging situations right now. Grace, yesterday, in, one of, in her testimony, she just shared with everybody, and she just said, listen, the thing that's gotten me through has been prayer. It's been prayer. Prayer is what has walked me through this deep and dark valley that I'm in, something that none of us can really understand. And so I challenge you today with that thought. Listen, Christ is coming back. We can, we're thankful for that. I'm so glad he's returning. And so that changes the way that I approach life. So if you're suffering right now with anxiety and you're struggling with difficulty and you're feeling just like overwhelmed and stressed to the edge and all of that, and listen, I'm with you. I understand all of those things. Would you turn to God in prayer and not just pray, God, help me out of this situation, but pray with an awareness that, listen, God, one day I know that you're going to make all things right. I know that, Lord, I'm not in control and I know that you are. I can trust you. I can walk with you. And Lord, I I desire that you be involved in my life And not just at the dinner table, not just before you eat your breakfast, but I mean spend real time in prayer with God. Peter says, the end of all things at hand. The end is near. If we had a cardboard, piece of cardboard and a Sharpie, he'd be writing all over it right now. (laughs) The end is near. But we can be sober. We can be watchful in prayer. And we can see a change begin to happen in our hearts and in our lives that can honestly alter the direction of your life. It really can. It is this mindset that led Peter to ultimately give up his life for the cause of Jesus Christ. It is this mindset that led many of the disciples to give up their life for the Lord. And it was this thought, Jesus is coming soon. I'm going to live for him today. So if you don't get anything else today, get that. Christ is coming. I'm going to live for him today. And I believe it can really make a difference in your life. It can make a difference in the circumstances that you're in right now. So let's have a word of prayer together. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed today. And I just want to spend a few moments in prayer. And Maybe you need to just take a moment and just thank the Lord. Say, God, thank you that you are coming back. Maybe you've not done that before. Maybe you need to just take a moment and say, Lord, thank you for your return. Help me to live in light of your return. Are you living Christian in expectation of his return? Are you struggling in fear, anxiety, and difficulty? Can I encourage you today to commit to the Lord? Say, Lord, I'm going to turn to you in prayer. I'm going to trust you. I know that you're coming back. I know that you're going to make all things right. I know that you will be the righteous judge. And so, Father, I'm going to lay aside my control. I'm going to lay aside the things that I'm trying to uh, fix or the things that I have no ability to adjust, but I'm still worried about them and I'm going to lay those at your feet and I'm going to trust you, God, with those today. In whatever way God has spoken to you today, would you at least commit this morning and say, Lord, you're coming back, so I'm going to live for you today. I'm going to pursue you today. Chris is going to play just for a moment. I'm going to give us some time to pray together and if God has spoken to you, if he hasn't, maybe you just need to reach out and say, Lord, what would you have me to learn from you today? Let's have a few moments of silent prayer together.